0: Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength And with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor in reply jesus said a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen.
1: Thank you very much. So I want us to consider that question on the screen now. Quite simply, good. I think we all would like to imagine we're good. I think each of us probably admit we have shortfallings, but we like to consider ourselves as good people. So this morning we have this wonderful story that lays out this example of being good. But I think it asks a whole host more questions. So I want to start by just addressing um, one of the, the first issues that we get to. The question that's asked at the start, teacher, he says, This teacher, this gentleman of the law, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And later on, after Jesus' first response, he says this, and who is my neighbor? I understand this part of the story probably the best, because I do it. I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us do it. We ask the question that we kind of know the answer to, because we want to look good. This gentleman was educated. He knew what the answer was. But he asked it because he wanted the proof there. Then the second question, again, that we do. He wanted justification. He wanted to be able to contain, to understand what the boundaries were. He wanted to be able to visibly mark his own success. I think it's really important that we understand this. This wasn't one of those moments where someone's trying to catch Jesus out. This isn't someone trying to set Jesus up to fail. This is someone journeying. I think we can dismiss a lot of these situations because we're so used to people trying to make Jesus look silly that we assume the question is asked in arrogance. But here we see someone genuinely asking. Yeah, he had a bias towards the law. But he was genuinely asking Jesus, What do I do? I understand what it says. What does that look like? How do I execute that? So I want us to start from that point. I want us to dismantle maybe some of the ideas that we have of this story, the ways we've previously engaged with it, be it acting it or coloring it. And I want us to start with a clean slate, because I want us to consider ourselves in the position of the hearer. Not people observing someone else having this conversation, but as if Jesus was speaking to us, challenging us, engaging us in this world. I want us to be personally honest as to which of those three characters we are. I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for these parables, God these simplistic ways to understand what it is that you call us to. So I just pray this morning as we meet, as we just look through this story, a story that no doubt some of us have heard so many times. God, I just pray we would hear it with fresh ears, God. We would see it with fresh eyes, that, God, you would speak to us personally. God, you would engage us in the mission fields that you have for us. Thank you, Father. Amen. So we begin, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Risca is an edgy place, in probably the mildest way you could say edgy, because not a lot of those things happen here. There might be scuffles. There's going to be a few disturbances, but as far as I'm aware, we are fairly safe from the high-end robberies that strip people and beat them and leave them on the side of the road. So does that mean we can dismiss the whole story? It's not relevant to us. Inner cities, that's where this is important. London, rough places like that. Can we now just void all of this? I think that's where we need to begin to see this story with fresh eyes. To remember that this is a parable, this is an example that Jesus sets for the people of his time. But I think it's safe to say we can see these elements. And these we do see in Riska, these we do see in our lives injustice, poverty, vulnerability, victims, the defenseless, the lonely. If we take out the man that's been robbed and replace the family down the road they are in poverty, it comes closer to home. If we look at those who are unable to defend themselves against the injustices they face, suddenly we are looking at something that is far closer to home. Each of you already, as I said, those words would have begun to see people, to know people. Maybe that was you once and someone stepped in that void to support you. And then Jesus introduces us to three characters. Again, I just want you to consider what the original hearers of this story would have been considering. They would have had an assumption as to how this would go, how this was going to play out. They themselves would have done what we do, which is to decide where we fit into the story. For some of us, that's very comfortable some of us, we finish at the end and we feel good. For some of us, it's a little bit more char- um, challenging. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. Before any of you claim that you are Welsh, that doesn't stop this being relevant. Before we start to say, never been a priest. See past the story. Begin to engage in what's going on that's deeper. These characters aren't their titles. They aren't their origins. They're wonderful and painful representations of a humanity that is failing itself in so many places. A priest traveling along the road, in all likelihood having conducted his priestly duties. For him... The sacredness of who he was, of what he'd done. Meant that him being in touch with a corpse, him contacting this person would have made him ceremoniously unclean. So he has a conflict, crosses the road, walks on by. The Levite, who quite possibly had been there with the priest, not as high but as engaged in religion as the priest was, he is quite possibly more street savvy. It wasn't uncommon at the time that robbers would beat someone and then use them as bait for the next good person that comes along and just have a wonderful cycle of people coming along and stopping long enough for them to rob them. So he is in a self-preservation mode. Finally, our third character, the Samaritan, an outsider, a natural enemy of the people. It's wonderful to consider that as Jesus said that line of a third character, a Samaritan, there would have been an intake of air from his original listeners. This was the body of the story. This guy's probably going to kick him on the way past. They'd already built their prejudice. They'd already decided just how this was going to go down. But we've got three characters and three mirrors that Jesus holds up for us to look in, to see if we see our reflection in. So when I want to ask you this I want you to consider for a moment. If you had to write down on a piece of paper which character you would be, who would you write? The priest? The Levite? The Samaritan? Who would you write? If I asked your family, which of these three characters is this person? Who would they write? The people you work with. Which one of those three would they say you're most like? How would your enemies describe you? How do those people that live on your street describe you? Friends on social media, people that you keep in contact with, Who live in different parts of the world, if they had to pick one of those three characters, which one of them would they pick? Because often how we see ourselves, how we like to see ourselves, isn't necessarily how it plays out for everybody. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He did not want to be unclean, he conducted big, important things in the temple. You don't want to be unclean. So i want to ask you the question, what is it for you that would make you unclean? What is it that stops you from getting your hands dirty? So that's what we're talking about here. Very few of us hold roles and jobs that stop us being able to get involved in life. So the question has to come down to it. What is it that stops me wanting to get dirty? What is it that means that I don't want to get mess on my Sunday best? What is it that means we need to build walls and fences around the way we do life to stop the dirt of the world engaging with us? (coughs) We want to keep ourselves in, keep ourselves protected. The problem is by doing that, we stop the overflow of love that God has for us pouring out. How is the world going to hear about what Jesus did if we spend all our times protecting ourselves from how bad the world is. What is it that we worry we might catch? What is it we fear we might become if we spend too much time with these people? What is it that we worry would stain us if we got our hands dirty? Just want to break that story down for a moment. There is a man lying on the side of the road dying. A priest, a religious man, a man who understood something of who God was, sees this. He sees the problem, he crosses the road, and he passes by at a distance. He sees the problem, he moves across the road, and he passes by. I want to challenge you, when was the last time you crossed the road? could be practically, physically. It could be that you just made a mental note to avoid someone, a certain situation. I've had that uncomfortable moment where I've spent time in London watching people physically cross the road. And you can almost see this flow of footfall around quite clearly where there's someone homeless sat. I'm sure you can picture it in workplaces. That one individual who walks in and everyone is amazingly busy as they walk past. In the shops, in Riska. maybe in Cardiff, in other places you shop that sales assistant who's just a little bit too talkative, so you'd rather pretend that you need to pick up extra washing up liquid than be served by them. Who is it, what is it that we begin to decide we want to avoid because their life and their mess and their situation is just going to make us dirty, is going to stop us being pristine? A religious leader sees the need And crosses the road. Next up we have the Levite. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Maybe that first mirror doesn't reflect you. Maybe you don't have an issue necessarily with the needs of the world. Maybe you are one of those amazing people that can get your hands dirty. I know there's a huge amount of people that serve in an incredibly good way. But this mirror... This is that wonderful mirror of self-protection. He's not held by his religious role. But he is aware of that wisdom that should come with the religious structure. He needs to be good with his money. He needs to be wise with the way he uses his time. For both of those to work, he needs to be alive. So this possible booby trap is one that he can avoid with a clean conscience because he doesn't want to get involved in this. This could cost him something. It could cost him his very life. He has no idea who's loitering, who's around, who might see what's happening. So he passes by, protects his own physical needs. For us? How often do we hear that line in our head, or from other people in church, I don't give money to the people that ask on the side of the road, because they might spend it on drugs, they might spend it on alcohol, it's not wise, I don't want to do that. The mirror of self-protection. So I want to ask this question of us, and it's not a nice question to receive. How often do you give gifts to those that you love, with an agenda? How often at Christmas, when you give out gifts under the tree, do they have a little footnote on them saying, you know, these are trainers, I only want you to wear them on Tuesdays. This money, you can only spend on sweets from shops in Risca. We don't do it, do we? When we give to those we love, we give freely, we give out of the overflow of who we are. Yet we seem to decide that those that God loves, those that God claims to be his own children, we can make Exceptions. We can begin to demand a higher standard from people. I don't give them money. They might go to the shop and spend it on alcohol. Self preservation. The Levite in this moment wasn't being asked to do a financial survey on this gentleman's assets. He wasn't being asked to work out the value of anything at this point. We aren't asked to work out whether it's a good investment to love or not. We aren't asked if it's a good investment to give of ourselves, to pour into things. That's not how Jesus functioned on the cross. He didn't sit there or hang there, working out each of us's worth and deciding if it was an investment worth making. It was Freely given. Freely given. So how many of us make the excuse? I don't know what they're going to use the money for. Far safer not to get involved. But yet, we read it in Scripture that we are called now to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And suddenly we've decided that we have a better judgment of how those hands and feet should respond to the needs of the world. Jesus, when he saw a need, didn't simply throw coins at it. He got down on eye level and he engaged with the person. He spoke into their lives and into their being. Someone who worked in amongst homeless people was once quoted as saying that you should never wear something or carry something that you're not willing to give away. A horrendously difficult challenge. Horrendously difficult challenge. But how many of us have known those situations where we've walked out of a restaurant of an evening, maybe the theatre one night, and we've seen someone sat there with a sleeping bag and nothing else? And it's crossed our mind I'd love to be one of those people that would just give up their coat for them. But I can't because this is my best coat. An incredibly difficult challenge. It's a challenge that makes me personally uncomfortable. I like the things I own. I wouldn't buy them if I didn't. But it challenges me. Do I buy things to protect who I am, to dress myself up as I want to be? Because if I'm not willing to engage in the world, I've got to question what it is that I think I'm achieving, who it is I think I'm being, who is it that I represent when I make those decisions? But even worse than the religious leader and the priest and the Levite not giving anything is that they don't seem to care there's a numbness to them that allows them to disengage humanity and I believe this is the root of the problem that mankind faces faces right now when he saw the man he passed by on the other side the Levite passed by on the other side It's not that we don't help enough. My worry is that sometimes we don't even see it. We've become so numb to the needs of humanity, we don't even see it. We walk by without making eye contact. We walk by without even letting the person simply know they have value. The world in places is falling apart. We see it on the news. But I promise you, it's not bombs. It's not armies. It's not dictators, it's not fighting that is killing this mankind, this humanity. It's each individual who forgets the value of another. That's where it's going wrong. That's where the problem starts. Too often for myself, I fall behind one of those two mirrors. I can stand there and I can look at myself and go, you know what, I do that. I do that. I don't want to get dirty. It's going to cost too much. It's going to take too much. I don't want to give up something of who I am. So praise God that Jesus doesn't stop there. Because as challenging as this has been, as difficult as it might have been for you to hear, Jesus is well aware of the struggles that we face. So the story was always designed to give us an out. The story was always designed for us not to stop today and just give up because it's too hard. Instead, we can take huge encouragement from this next example. Too often I fall behind the first two mirrors, but I want my life to reflect the life of the Samaritan. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When you ask people in my life which one of those three characters I represent, I want them to answer the Samaritan. I don't want them to go, ah, he's very religious, he's very good at that. I don't want them to say that I'm very well kept, I preserve myself incredibly well, I never embarrass myself. I want them to say, you know what, when I needed someone, he was there. When we were out together and there was need, he responded. Because in that action, in those moments, they are not seeing me. As I said, I fall behind the front two mirrors, the first two mirrors too often. What they're seeing is Jesus at work in me. What they're seeing is a gateway, an opportunity for themselves to meet with Jesus through the way that we live out our lives When it comes to that equation, that each of the three of them saw. Someone vulnerable. Someone who had faced injustice. Someone who was lonely. Someone who was in need. We need to consider this. Whatever the situation we're in, the need has to speak above it. Whatever the voices in our heads are telling us, the need in front of us. Is greater than them whoever it is you're worried about whatever you're worried they might say the need is greater than their opinion the man meets the practical needs of the victim in the moment he didn't cross the road he didn't look for religious relief he didn't worry about himself he crossed to the problem he stepped into the situation And then this. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denier and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have had. Not only do we have a picture of someone helping Not only do we have an example of how we can practically be called to be engaged in our community, we get a small glimpse at the elaborate and abundant love of God that says, I will help you in your situation, and I will go beyond. I will see the need you have right now, and I will step in and be a part of it, but I am setting you up to keep going. The man could well have tended to him, checked that he was breathing, and abandoned him. But instead, he shows the abundant, elaborate love of our God and just pours out and pours into this person. He goes the extra mile, he does that bit more, he goes above and beyond. Three people, three responses, three mirrors for us to look at ourselves this morning. Three ways for us to consider the needs of the world around us. I want to say it. I love the way this church embraces people. I've said it before. I'm incredibly proud to know that I'll be able to say it again and again. Be from the hospitality we show when we do events here to the way people have embraced my family, other families, friends of mine. We are good. We do a huge amount of good. We are involved in some phenomenal organizations around the globe and here in Risca. They are good things. Please do not think I'm dismissing any of that incredible hard work or the hearts behind it. But who are you outside of these walls? Who are you to the people in your lives that aren't directly involved in church? Who are you to those that you do life with be it neighbours, be it enemies. And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, and then comes one of the greatest challenges we face. Because I believe in that story, what we see is Jesus sitting before us saying, Tim, there is need on your doorstep. Who are you going to be? Who are you gonna be. It's gonna cost you. I said this last week. I believe this church will be full. I genuinely do. I have the privilege of spending time in the college. There is a hunger for spirituality in a younger generation. And it will go one way or the other. We have a choice, we have an opportunity to be a part of that conversation with them. But it's gonna cost us time. It's gonna mean that awkward conversation with that person at the bus stop while they're waiting. It's going to mean stepping up and saying to the person in front of the queue, you know what, I'll get that because you've not got your wallet with you. It's going to mean sitting and listening to the person who goes on and on and on about all the stuff in their life so that the moment of clarity and truth that comes from them, you are ready to hear and to respond to. And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said... The best thing about this whole story, the very best thing for me about all of this, about everything that Jesus does, everything Jesus says, is the integrity of this story is found on the cross. The integrity of the Good Samaritan is not found in the conclusion of the story saying, go and do likewise. The conclusion of this story is when Jesus hung there for us, his neighbors. When he died for our sins, even though he knew we would sin again and again. For those that he loved so much but he knew would reject him. That's where we see the conclusion to the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's the privilege we have to take forward. When we respond to need, we respond with the full weight of the gospel. We respond with the full weight of the cross behind us. And I pray that when we step in to the needs of this world, the world won't just see us see jesus we can respond with the practical need we can earn ourselves a seat at the table by solving the problem in front of them at that point is when jesus gets to step in begins to do the things that he's done in our lives It's a huge challenge for us to change this world with love a huge challenge Jesus knew that a priest a Levite a Samaritan this morning I want you to ask that question who am I if I'm honest with myself who am I if I look at the people in my life who would they say I am And then I want to release you with the knowledge that this question is followed by who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? The opportunity we have to make a difference is huge. It's huge. And every day we're presented with the opportunity to make those differences. Who... Do you want to be?